Hello, and thanks for joining United Capital Unfiltered, where we will explore innovative ideas in financial services that enable advisors to grow their practices and help clients address the challenges impacting their financial lives. On this episode, Joe Duran, founder and CEO of United Capital, is joined by Michael Kitsis, financial planner and industry thought leader. Together, they'll dive deep into a discussion about the success paradox and standing apart from the competition. Well, good afternoon, Joe Duran. Hi, how are you doing, Michael? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today for the kickoff of a, a new podcast series we're experimenting with. You know, Joe Duran Unfiltered, I think is where we're going to end up. Well, I think it's you and me unfiltered, both of us. I think, you know, you did that interview for your, I think it was your 100th episode. And we got such a massive response, at least on our end, from people who listened to it, who really enjoyed your perspective, my perspective, and you know we're both so engaged in what's happening in the industry and engaging with individual advisors and how they compete that it just seemed like a logical idea for you and I to get together and once a month or so talk about things that are happening in the industry, innovation, entrepreneurship, and, and just share ideas that help advisors to win in a really competitive world. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's to me sort of this spectrum, like there's the stuff we got to do in our firms, just day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year to keep the business running, chugging forward, hopefully in a general growth trajectory. And then there's that phenomenon that every now and then you like, you have to, you have to step out from your four walls. You have to pick your head up and look around at the broader industry and try to get a sense of what else is going on out there and what do I need to be cognizant of and thinking about and trying to respond to as a business owner, looking at the long term. And and like it, in my head, I think that that's where we are going to try to have some of these conversations. Like, let's be mindful of what's happening in the broader landscape while we're also spending the rest of our days just trying to make our advisory businesses work and serve our clients well. What happens for most advisors is they are so busy working in the business all day, they don't have time to think about working on the business. And it's not just the innovation and the change that's happening and the, what the competition is doing. There's also things like, how does your role as an advisor, how does it need to evolve? And how does your role as a leader need to evolve and change how you work with teams and how do you grow and scale? So I hope we will get to cover over the course of the next year really interesting topics that that while somebody's at the gym and they've downloaded this on the phone, that they're able to to learn something that would be interesting and helpful. And to me, the like a great place to kick off the discussion is that topic you just raised, like that word innovation. It's a fascinating word for me. I, I, you know, I know you live at the the center of this. You're doing you know Investment News's Innovation Summit. Uh, you know, we tried to, I hope, create a few creative and innovative things in our you know, Nerd's Eye View platform and some of our businesses. But I, I feel like like innovation itself is sort of this strange, fuzzy word to me, like this combination of can you create something new and and then even can you figure out what to do with it? Like to me, the case in point example of like fascinating innovation is always that when you actually go back and look, like the original digital camera got created by Kodak, the people who made like the original analog cameras, and then they didn't know what to do with their own creation. And then 10 years later, a few other people started to figure out how to make digital cameras as well, and ultimately destroyed and dismantled the Kodak business with digital competition. It, it wasn't even just that they got disrupted by innovation. 
they actually came up with the first version of it right and couldn't even figure out what to do with it like there's this there's this two piece thing that goes with it like in our industry maybe it was robo advisors showed up and said we're going to disrupt the industry and well, now we're six years in and we're, we're clearly not disrupted. They're a 0.05% market share. But but they've spawned this whole change in the industry. We're all treating technology differently. So like they they made a neat thing. It wasn't the disruptor they thought it was, but now everybody still wants to adopt this technology. It reframes the, the way the market interacts with each other. I think the way to think about innovation is it's really just new change. Rather, and that innovation is a complicated word because many of us automatically associate technology with innovation, but that's not always the case. Innovation might be a new way of going to the market. Innovation might be an interesting way to service clients that is different and fresh. I, I worry about using that word innovation. It is the right word to use, but it is the one that's often lumped in with robo and technology when, in fact, that's one aspect, but there are many ways to think about it. And I like to think about innovation as change, something you're doing new that is different. And and most advisors, unfortunately, they will go through one major innovation or technology change or a shift in how they work every two to three years, just one. That's just not enough in this environment. And that one thing might be a new website. It might be a new positioning statement. It might be that they bring in a new partner. It might be that they change their fee structure. But typically, most independent firms they do one major new thing every two to three years, and that's simply not enough with the pace of change that's happening in the competitive environment. I think that's a, like a challenging a gauntlet to throw down right there to say like, hey, you're changing one major thing in your business every two to three years. It's, it's not enough. Like I guess the implication, you, know, you, you got to change something being in your business every year. Well, let me frame it a different way, Michael. You think back 10 years ago in our industry – and what you had to do to be competitive 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, you could probably make it by doing an investment portfolio at a reasonable fee. Today, to be competitive, you have to do financial plans, right? It is, you, you cannot be an independent wealth manager and not be in planning. But 10 years ago, you could probably be all right. Just wrapping an ETF or mutual fund portfolio for 1%, you were fine. But today, that's not true. So there's an underlying premise, which is what was good enough a decade ago is not good enough today. And if that is true, then what's good enough today will not be good enough 10 years from now. And so what you all get to decide, we all get to decide, where in the change cycle am I going to be? Am I going to be one of the early changes and take advantage of where the market is going? Or am I going to be dragged along kicking and screaming at the end where I no longer have a competitive advantage? I'm simply making the change to just maintain my position because if I don't, I'm going to lose all my business. It's an interesting question about where do you fit in that cycle of innovation and are you early, middle, or late? We all have to evolve. Otherwise, you don't have a business as you see with JCPenney and Sears, right? But I do have to ask like playing devil's advocate a little, you know, if, if- I mean, certainly, I think I, I would completely agree with this, like the 10 year cycle of of what we've seen, the magnitude that we've seen, right? Just like doing diversified portfolios on an AUM basis was still pretty different 10 and 15 years ago, not so much today. So now financial planning is the value add and we're all moving up the line. But but that did take like 10 or 15 years to play out. So like, is it enough if I'm at least proactively changing something every two or three years, like do I have to change something every one year 
to keep pace on 10-year industry changes? It's enough if you just want to keep up. That's the truth. If you want to just keep up, that's probably enough. You will be, again, the one thing that you change might be keeping you current, but then all the other aspects of your business will be behind. Look at a simple example like, like CRMs. That's something that nobody likes to change, right? So you're probably going to be quicker to adapt to your client deliverable, but leave the CRM thing. And in the meantime, your competitors are using CRMs now to to drive their client engagement in a digital way that is far more engaging than something you can do. And so it depends. You know, it's very hard if you only change one thing every two to three years to that means that you might only get to your CRM every eight to 10 years, and that might be a little bit too slow. So again, you will keep, you will be fine. You'll be, you'll be alive, you'll survive, but you won't, you'll be getting dragged along with where the market is going rather than shaping it and then having the competitive advantage. Well, I do think you make an interesting point there that there's so many different parts of the systems of what we do as advisors, right? Like I've got a, I've got an operations component that's maybe got my CRM system and my portfolio accounting and trading systems. I've got some kind of business structure overall. I've got advisors. I've got partners. I've got you know human capital dynamics of the people I hire and develop. I've got the deliverables I bring to clients, which is both what I do for them, how I frame it, you know what technology I use, planning software and otherwise to deliver it. There's a, a marketing function about how I go out and get new clients and hold the firm out. Even if I'm only changing one or I, you know, I'm being proactive enough to change one major thing every few years, by the time I rotate all the way around that that entire system, you make a good point. Like any one area may not get changed much for 10 years and 10 years for one area is too long of a change cycle. And, and you know, honestly, you cannot have a growth company and not have an innovation mindset. You know, we, we've doubled our firm since we started 14 years ago, every three to four years. We were at in uh, 2010, 2015, we're on 10 billion, we're on 23 billion today. That requires not just change in one area, but you're having to evolve all aspects of your business because you only need to do something new. You don't need to do it if you're not growing because everyone can keep doing the same thing and just kind of evolve slowly. If you are are intending to grow, change is a requirement. The challenge is, it's not that the people on the team don't want to do things better and evolve. It's often that the founder, the lead advisor, is far more conservative about making those changes. They actually are the ones holding people back. They're like, well, you know, I kind of like how we do it. I really think the enemy of innovation is good enough that you go, well, you know, it's been good enough. And and the advisor, of course, would rather take home the pay than invest in the business if it's not got immediate, fairly tangible return back. And that can be very stagnating for the staff. And then the staff don't feel excited. And then they stop innovating and work from, you know, do their regular nine to five and do what's necessary and be good enough. And so it really starts at the top. You know, you have to be a mindset of, you know, good enough might be good enough for a lot of people, but not for us. And we have a simple expression at our shop. We will be better every Friday than the Friday before as a company, as individuals, and as a department, we will be better every Friday than the Friday before. And that is something that then every department, whether it's HR or whether it's technology or anywhere else, they're going, what are we doing to improve? 
but it has to start at the top. You know, like, uh, as you know, the bottleneck is always the top of the bottle. And the mindset of the of the principal really dis- establishes whether you're going to approach change as an asset or as a liability. And that mindset's really important. Like innovation, what I have found, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Michael, is when you go and speak to an advisor, they either are going to view it as an asset or a liability to have to change. I've always viewed it as an asset, and therefore I want to do it first because it gives me a competitive advantage. However, most people, I'd say as many as 85 to 90% of the advisors in the industry view having to change as a liability, as a cost that they have to go through. Or, or I think even just uh, an uncertainty. I mean, as you said, like, I'm going to invest into this thing. I don't know if it's going to work out, right? There's plenty of people out there, whether it's in the business context or, or virtually any other that says, you know, some other poor soul like Joe Duran can be on the bleeding edge and, and you know, find like the nine failures that lead to the 10th success. I'm just going to see what the 10th success is. And then, and then I'll do that, right? I know the like the business, you know, the B school term for this is like being a fast follower. I like I don't need to be bleeding on the cutting edge. I'm just going to try to at least make a transition when something new seems to be emerging that has some traction. Like I'm going to go do that quickly thereafter, but I don't need to be on the bleeding edge of it. And, and that's usually true, by the way. You, you are seldom rewarded for being on the bleeding edge. We have always been on the bleeding edge. But I recognize that for most independent advisors, they don't have the resources of a really big firm with a really big balance sheet. But you still want to be in a mindset that you're aware of what's happening so that you can bring those efficiencies as soon as possible. I will say one thing that I've noticed. Advisors tend to overestimate the cost of change and underestimate the cost of not changing. What I mean by that is they assume that doing nothing comes with no additional cost. And that's kind of like saying that if you have an apartment building and it's atrophying, that not upgrading the sinks and not upgrading the fridges, that doesn't have a cost, but it does. It means you're going to get less in rent. It means that the underlying value is diminishing every day. That's the challenge is that most advisors, the status quo is good enough. They view the cost of making changes as very disruptive and expensive. They usually overestimate it. And they definitely underestimate the cost of doing nothing. Doing nothing means you are becoming less competitive every minute you do nothing because someone's out there out innovating you. And that's another way to think about it is, you know, are you increasing the value, the underlying raw value of your business? Or is someone else making you less valuable because they're becoming more competitive than you are? And that's, for me, an interesting question that a lot of people simply don't ask. To me, like we... For better or worse, we 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 kind of have this. Uh, I was going to say crutch, but maybe crutch isn't the right word for it. We have this comfort zone that we get into as advisors because the industry just has, like, right or wrong, a phenomenally, some would say, ludicrously high retention rate. Clients have a lot of inertia. I mean, a I hope most of us just are serving our clients well, so they stick around. But I mean, the truth is, we've all seen plenty of clients that stick, even with bad advisors, for an irrationally long time because there's a lot of inertia out there. And so, I, I think it just it it leads a lot of us to this point of saying, you know, I'm serving my clients well, they're sticking around. Like, why do I need to deal with all this stuff that that Joe's talking about? Like, I, I may or may not show up in time to at least follow on when a change is coming. But, you know, I've already got high retention rates. No one's tearing my clients away from me. 
even as I look at in the landscape, like the the firms that struggle with innovation don't tend to have retention problems until they're like really far behind. They have they have growth problems. Like you you it gets harder to get clients. No, 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 absolutely true. This, this is that's exactly you've got exactly how I feel about it. You do not need to innovate to maintain your clients. Why? Because the average advisor understands their clients better than anyone else. And the ad- clients are going to stick with it because nothing has changed about the reason they originally picked the advisor. And most clients have picked the advisor because they like the person, because they trust the person. And that person now, after a few years, understands them really well. Not as well as others might, but they don't want to bother going through the aggravation of finding somebody new. So they're like, you know what? I trust them. I like them. They know me. That's a good enough reason to stay. So there is, that's not going to change. They're not going to fire you. Now, again, you've got to be competitive. You've got to deliver good service. You've got to have a reasonably active, but they're not going to switch up. Exactly. If you want to grow, then everybody coming in is going to compare you to what is available in the marketplace because they're not your friends yet. They don't know if you can be trusted. All they can do is look the way you would if you go to a store and say, does this product look better than this product? And that is when, if you have not invested in the client experience and how you interact with clients, if you're not digitally native, if you don't have the experience that they expect when they look at your comp- competition, you're not going to grow. And that is where you see firms that do not spend on innovation do not grow. It's much harder for them to grow because first, they don't attract a younger, hungrier advisor because they're not up to date with what's available. And the end clients themselves, when they're looking at the universe of choices, they say, you know, this looks like a pretty stodgy firm that looks like every other firm. I can't tell the difference. Is it fair to say then that, that like there's this fundamental link between innovation or I shall say like need for innovation and desire for growth? If you're at a good point, you're not that concerned about growth, you maybe don't need to be as concerned about innovation. The more focused you are on growth, the more you need to care about the innovation discussion as well. Because if you want to keep growing, you have to you can't just hold on to your clients. You have to be one step ahead of whoever the newest person is who's doing the new ever, whatever the newest thing is. You got to always be beating whoever that is if you want to keep growing. And that's a constantly changing you know, competitive opponent for whoever's coming in latest, doing the latest new thing that you got to keep pace with. Yeah, let's use a simple example, right? So look at a firm like, uh, like Sears. Sears was, at its time, when it first started, a true innovator and a pioneer. You know, they used to send out those catalogs. They were everywhere. They were a massive retailer. Everybody shopped at Sears. Everybody had Sears products. They then did something also revolutionary 50, 80 years later. We're going to create brands that we've that we own, but there are brands, Craftsman and all the rest, and have those be brands that are part of Sears. And so they were one of the innovators in that way. What they didn't do is they, when they saw Amazon coming and they saw people going retail and they saw Target coming, they never, they never thought about, okay, how do we maintain our competitive advantage? And they were very loyal customers who were used to Sears, and they very quickly stopped being loyal to Sears. Now, that's not going to happen in our business because we're not a transactional business, which is helpful. But to grow in order to evolve, 
anyone going and looking at Sears or JCPenney and comparing them to Amazon and now Walmart lost. And Walmart's a great example of somebody that saw what Amazon was doing, saw what had happened at Amazon and Sears and said, we have to become digital too. We have to be bionic. We have to be a combination, take advantage of our footprint nationally, which Amazon doesn't have. So we can actually have side, you know, curb, curbside pickup, but we've got to be really local in the digital. We've got to be on the client's mobile phones. And so you look at a firm like Walmart, they at least understood we're going to have to invest to out Amazon, Amazon. And we're going to do that by taking advantage of our very large footprint. There's no reason JCPenney couldn't have done that or Sears couldn't have done that. In fact, they're usually at a more convenient location than Walmart, but they never thought of it. They never looked at the marketplace and said, we don't have hallowed, we don't have some entitlement to this marketplace. Like the marketplace evolves. Well, and you know, one of the things that it struck me when you had joined me on the Financial Advisor Success podcast was you'd made this statement that I, I you can correct me if I'm misrecalling it, something to the effect of once a year you sit down with your executive team and essentially post them the discussion. You know, if you just got hired away by the by a competitor, like what would you tell them about how to disrupt and beat United Capital? Like how do you beat us? And then take what they you know, take whatever they say will kill you and then go do it before someone else does it to you. Yeah. So we do that every, every about two years. We just, we, it takes a while to make it all real, but we sit down and say, how do we beat United Capital? And our management team is tossed with what things would we do if we were going to compete against our firm to beat it? Uh, and again, it's just, it's really just applying a mindset, a growth mindset, because again, what happens, most advisors start in the business with a growth mindset, but then they get trapped by their own success. I call it the success paradox, where they say, all the things that have put me in this place, the reason I'm successful is all the things we've done to get here. And I can't change that because I'll be putting that at risk. However, really innovative firms ask a different question. They say, why aren't I twice as successful? What am I doing wrong to not have been twice as successful? That leads you to a completely different conclusion. To one answer, you'll always say, well, okay, good enough. Don't need to change it. To the other, you'll say, my goodness, these are the things that are stopping you from doubling in size yet again. And what you'll realize very quickly is you can't get to a different place by doing the same thing. That is why, again, if you're going to grow, you have to have a growth mindset and you have to have a mindset that is this isn't good enough. It's good enough today, but it's not good enough for tomorrow. So let's Let's make sure we are always pushing ourselves in a disciplined way. And again, when you change, you've got to have, when you grow, you've got to be willing to change, but you also have to have courage because it's going to, they're going to be bumps, even if you're not at the bleeding edge, but just behind. And then you've got to have the discipline to follow through when you have setbacks and you have to not punish people for making mistakes. Those kinds of things are very hard. If you have been in a place where you haven't really been doing a whole lot of innovation for some time. So as we said earlier, like when I, I feel like when I look at the advisor landscape, I mean, we can kind of divide up like in sort of the innovation funnel. There are a couple of firms that frankly are, are like already hyper early adopters that like that is their mindset mentality. They're, they're going to keep doing their thing. Everybody else kind of follows on at some point, either a little later or a lot later. You know, some of us are frankly not growth oriented, got a good practice, make some good income 
going to spend more time with my kids and doing things I want with my spouse and just I'm I'm good. It really is good enough. And and then there's a group that I don't know, like I I feel like they're they're in the middle. Like I, you know, I know I'm not as fast and innovative and active on this stuff as I'd like to be, but I'd kind of like to be. And yes, I I would like to grow more. Like I'm not done. I don't really want to settle where I am here, but I I don't I'm not really sure what or how I'm supposed to be doing different than what I'm doing now to get to this thing that you're talking about. There's that. And and as you know, it's overwhelming. You go to the custodial uh, annual get-togethers, and there's just a huge ballroom filled with technology that all of it looks great, but it all kind of looks redundant. And what do you do and what do you start? Yeah, we we got so much stress about that. I, I, I made this like fintech map that I wanted to create so we could just show like, here's all of the different options and try to help people navigate a little. And now I've found that like a lot of companies are using our FinTech map as an illustration of how ridiculously overwhelming all the choices are. It was meant to be helpful, not a punchline, but it sort of came out that way. Cause just that's right. That's the state of where we are right now. Hey, I want to innovate. That sounds great. Oh, awesome. 372 choices of software. What the heck am I supposed to do? So like, where do you tell people to start? So here's the way, I mean, look, I, I think you start with the consumer. It, everything has to be built around a very simple idea. Does this make being my client better? So that's the first thing I would do is to say, look, ask yourself, because that's where you're going to get the highest rate of return in any innovation you have. Start with the consumer. Does this make you better at serving them? It's a lot easier to think of technology as far as reducing costs and operating costs. But in fact, the way I think about it, even with back office innovation, does it allow me to spend more time with my clients? Does it serve my clients? So the first and most important question of what use would this innovation be for my clients and how important is it? The second is, does it serve and help me to answer the question that I'm looking to solve for my clients? You know, I find this amazing, but so few advisors have sat back and said, what is the problem we're trying to solve for our clients? And this will be, I think, one of our next follow-on blogs that we uh, podcasts that we do. It's a very interesting question because very often advisors have not actually said, "What am I really being paid for? What's the problem I'm solving?" So can you can you give me an example of this, like just to set some context, right? Like I again, we we've mostly got successful firms. I feel like we're solving some problems for our clients. <laughs> Yeah, we are. But here, but for most firms, if you're an investment-centric firm, the problem you're solving is putting your money to work for you in the best way possible. If you're a financial planning firm, almost certainly the question you're answering is, how do I make sure you don't run out of money? That's the question that almost every financial planner is doing is, I'm just going to make sure whatever you choose to do, you don't run out of money. The way we've approached this, we said, you know, since everyone's answering that question, we have to answer it too, but how about we answer a different question, which is, how do we make sure you make the most of your money? That's how we came up with this idea of live richly. Because if you are answering a different question than your competition, that's an innovation. That is something that makes you unique and different. And then you can, from that frame, think about what technologies and systems help us to solve that problem. So what I've found, at least for me, uh, so few advisors are asking themselves, what problem are we solving? So they went from investment planning to doing real financial planning, but they didn't frame or change 
that lens about how should we be doing things differently if that's the question we're answering. And for us, you know, United Capital, we help people live richly. And we do that by making sure you make the most of your money, which is a different question. That's how we came to build Money Mind and Answer Conversations and all these tools we have in FinLife. They are an, an outcropping of answering a different question everyone else. So I think if you have to start, that's where you start. You say, what can we do to answer a different question than everyone else is asking? And what technology would allow us to do that in a new way? And if you think about a firm like Betterment, the question they were solving is, how do we let people invest index-wise in the cheapest way possible without any of human interaction? That's the problem they were solving. And they solved it in a very unique way that, again, no one else had thought of answering. So that is, uh, for me, where you start. And, and frankly, everything else reinforces that. And then every once in a while, you have to ask, are we answering the right question? Are we solving the right problem? And do we need to evolve because the marketplace is caught up with us? You know, it, it reminds me of uh, the book, Blue Ocean Strategy. And, you know, they talk a lot about the growth and the success of Southwest Airlines, which was a similar phenomenon, you know, in when Southwest got started, it was sort of the heyday of airlines. There were a zillion different airlines all doing their different things, all competing against each other, all trying to basically outgrow and out economy of scale each other. And, you know, the like the famous founding story of of Southwest was that they didn't want to come in and compete against the rest of the airlines because they weren't really sure that they could win. They came in and said, well, we're going to compete against the great American road trip. That was what they were aiming for. And they said, well, first of all, if you want to compete with the great American road trip, you have to be cost competitive with the cost of a road trip, not just what other airlines charge, but what does it cost to you know drive your family across country? And the Greater American Road Trip, you know, does not go to from Dallas to Atlanta with a layover in Chicago. It goes in a straight line. So if you want to be relevant in competing with the Great American Road Trip and get them there in a the similar time, you have to fly there direct. And that was what led to this system of Let's make all these you know, tiny point-to-point -point connections to all these different airports that are low-cost and fast turnaround because we're not really just trying to compete with other airlines. We're trying to compete with people not driving. And, and that was the market share they captured. And they, they made the airline industry bigger. They didn't just take away from the pie. They made the pie bigger because they brought in new flyers who weren't going to fly until flying was actually easier than driving their family cross-country. And that was what broke them through. And that is what all great innovative companies do, right? Whether it's Steak and Shake that said, hey, we're going to do a fast food burger, but it's going to be like a gourmet burger or anyone else. You know, all of these great companies, Netflix that said, we're going to give you entertainment, but you are going to get it wherever you want, however you want. You're never going to have to return movies. Like there's just these companies that learn how to, how to evolve beyond where everyone goes. And that's not necessarily technology. It starts with an idea. So... Hopefully, this has been really helpful for people, and we'll have a lot of topics over the course of time. I really enjoyed this discussion, Michael. Likewise, I hope everyone did as well, and you know, maybe kind of take that away as your item to be to be thinking about, like what you know, what problem are you solving for clients? Like, if you put that one fundamental question out there, right? I think you put, you said it great. Like in the past, it was you know. How do I make my money work in the best way possible? That was why we did these you know, diversified asset allocated portfolios. How do I make sure I don't run out of money? That's been our traditional financial planning. You see, you put your line in the ground to say, how do we make sure that you make the most out of your money, which starts leading you in a different direction. So for all the advisors that are out there listening, like what's, what's the question you're answering? 
Well, thank you. And we look forward to having a new one in another month. And uh, Michael, thanks. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>